Welcome to season five of the Another Startup Story podcast. My name is Carmen Tang, your host, and together we'll explore and enjoy conversations around entrepreneurship, creativity, and leadership. In our careers, businesses, passions, and especially our visions, you're invited to learn and lesson with us. In this episode, I speak to Alex from YOLO Foods. Alex was also a candidate on the Apprentice Asia back in 2013, um, and after finishing third out of the 30,000 applicants across Asia, um, Alex was then, when, then went on to work for Louis Vuitton um, as the APEC director for a leading liquor brand, um, and then went on to work as the head of business development for Tony Fernandez uh, Catering Group. It was then there where he experienced the hybrid of both the corporate and entrepreneurial world uh, and really found the motivation to kickstart his own startup, his own business called Yellow Foods, which we'll be delving much deeper into today. Along with all of that in this episode, we'll also talk about challenging F&B norms, uh, playing the long game and tons of startup advice, of course, um, the process of finding investors, um, and we'll also dabble into nutrition and fitness. So welcome to the show, Alex. How are you doing today? Hey, Carmen. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. So tell us a bit more about your own background of obviously just giving a very, very brief overview. Um, you've done so much within <laughs> your pastime, you know. Um, so I'm excited to hear a bit more about where you started out and um, what you're doing today. Well, I mean, I, um, so I'm originally from France. Uh, I grew up in uh, the south of France in Monaco. And, um, and I studied a little bit, you know, all over the place, like Germany, the U.S., and ultimately, I decided to start my career in Asia. So I started in Singapore when I was 21. Um, and I worked here for, for about a year and a half before I was sent to China in Shanghai um, to open an office back then. And, and ultimately, um, started like a 10-year corporate career in China where I first worked in, in marketing, in PR, branding, um, before starting to shift industry, work in the alcohol and beverage industry. Um, and work for some of the biggest company there. Um, and, and yeah, fast forward 10, 10 years later, started my entrepreneurial journey. So a lot of exciting things that happened during that time. Uh, we'll discuss a lot more about it uh, during this podcast. Um, but, you know, very excited to, to explain and, and discuss about all these things. Yeah, so you moved to Singapore when you were 21. So you were basically a child still. <laughs> and then you <laughs> yes. got sent to China a year and a half later. How was that experience for you? And what made you, you know, say yes initially? It's quite daunting, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And especially like when I first moved to Singapore, um, like I had no idea about Asia. I never considered moving to Asia. Mm. And, and when I got this opportunity, I was just like, all right, like, where is Singapore? And what was the opportunity? So the opportunity was to work for the French uh, embassy uh, mm-hmm. and organize the first French festival in Singapore. Um, so I worked with the, um, the French Chamber of Commerce. And mm-hmm. um, so I moved here for like a, basically a 10-month project. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the, like at the time, like my background was more like finance-oriented. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to pursue finance. So when I got this opportunity, it was very also involving like luxury brands, fashion that I was involved as well. And, um, and I just felt like, all right, you know, Asia is very different. Like, I want to explore the world. I want to try things out. Um, so let's go and, you know, mm-hmm. give it a shot. And, um, and after a year here, it's funny because I, like, to me, Singapore was very much the Asian Monaco. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt very comfortable here. But especially at the time, it was 2 or 5, um, 
very quickly you hear about you know the rise of China. You hear like, yeah. oh look, China is it's happening. It's it's a big it's challenge. Over. Yeah, it's taking over. Um, and yeah, like I love challenges. And I think at the time, especially when you're 21, you're you know like you're like fearless. Yeah, right? completely fearless. You're like, ah, right, let's do it, right? Yeah. And uh, there was this opportunity in my company, and they were looking for someone to set up a rep office in China. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Mm. And um, and ultimately got the got the opportunity. And and when I went to to China, I remember it was just, I mean, it was a different world, right? Nobody would speak English. Like it was just you couldn't even take the taxi. Like you had to write the addresses on a piece of paper. Um, and, in English uh, or no, in, in Chinese. Chinese, yeah. And uh, so it was like, it was such a process just to, to do anything. But at the same time, it was just, it was just unbelievable, right? Mm. The opportunities, the people, um, there was like such like social magnetism between, you know, especially experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then quite quickly, you know, I understood that I was in the right environment to, to develop my career uh, and to really push myself like, mm. like much, much faster. So... Yeah, and just really, that's literally getting out of your comfort zone, you know, yeah. to another level, right? Oh, exactly. That's crazy. And and then you, you also learn Chinese within the span of, you speak fluent Mandarin now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like, you know, when I look back now, uh, some of the key decisions in my life, I think that was definitely one of the biggest decisions and one of the best decisions I made. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, after three years, I was always young for what I did. I, I graduated, I, I got my master once uh, when I was 21 years old. And I was always young for the type of responsibilities and, and opportunities I got, mm-hmm. right? So I wanted to keep that momentum and keep yeah. that competitive edge, that right? kind of like steep growth. Exactly, yeah. right? And, uh, and after three years in China, I was just like, all right, so... You know, I want to get the big jobs. I want to get the big companies. Um, I work for more like startup kind of, you know, like companies or projects. And, and so I wanted the big ones. And ultimately, the first interview was in Chinese. So I was like, all right, so I got to be able to speak Chinese. And um, so I left my job and, and I basically like studied Chinese. Um, so just like, yeah, like oral Chinese, not, not writing or reading for, for two months. Um, I did 350 hours. Um, you know, in the in the span of like literally like seven weeks, wow. um, and then I got my first interview with uh, LVMH at the time. Yeah, um, three hours in Chinese, passed it, and uh, three hours, three hours, wow. yeah, and uh, yeah, and in and that changed everything. I got the job and I started with LVMH, like you know, like huge number one in luxury, uh, you know, in the in the luxury industry, and uh, so I worked for Moet Hennessy, mm. uh, the wine and spirit side. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, like started, uh, you know, s- almost like seven years with them. So it was, uh, yeah, it was one of the best decisions I made. Wow! So you're working in China for LV, LVMH, and then, so at what point did you decide to apply for the Apprentice Asia? <laughs> ah, well, um, back in 2013. Yeah, back in 2013. So you know, funny enough, right? It's. I was doing, you know, I was doing very well. Uh, I was Asia Pacific director uh, mm-hmm. at 27, and um, and I worked, you know, really hard to to get to that spot, right? And um, but The Apprentice was my favorite show on TV. Uh, I the loved, Asia one? Uh, no, or like the US, the US the one. The, so I was actually literally <laughs> watching both UK and US. The UK got so bad. And uh, yes, exactly. And uh, and uh, and ultimately, like I I love the aspect of. Um, business and competition and uh, i'm extremely competitive <laughs> and i just wanted to like you know i always wanted to do it and, and i clearly remember that time when i had a dream that was in the final two 
And then I woke up and I remember how I felt when I woke up. I was like, oh my God, that was a dream, you know? And so one time I come back from a business trip and, and, and I see on AXN, uh, you know, an ad for Apprentice Asia. Mm. And I'm like looking at this and I cannot believe I didn't hear about it. And I felt like, I thought it was already on TV. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like screaming my place. I can't believe, right? Like, and, <laughs> and boom, at the, end of, at the end of the ad, they're like, all right, apply now. And, uh, you know, like, I, this is, this is my spot. I was just like, yeah. And, and first I'm like, all right, like, let's do it. But then I'm like, oh, come on. Like, how am I going to do that? I'm, you know, Asia Pacific director. There's no way I, mm. you know, I'm, I'm going to get a spot. It's a show, you know, that you do to get hired basically. Mm. Um, so I'm like, there's no way. And, but then ultimately I, I was just like, okay, let's just, let's just go through the interview process. And, um, and, uh, and yeah. And, and ultimately I think like I started to think about how to stand out and how to, uh, you know, to give the best application. So mm. I hired a, the, the company that was doing all my videos for all my brands. And I was like, listen, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend like 4,000 euros on this video. For the in yeah. interview application. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So it was a four minute, all day they were asking for a four minute video. And I was like, all right, I, I want like, I want to shoot for two days. I've got all these locations. I still have a copy. Yes. Can we, um, is it on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's not on YouTube. They, Despite they like, don't share. yeah, a lot of people have oh, like asked for that, but I literally went for you know like the you know the really big impact and um, and I, I, you know like later on I heard from the producer that you know when they saw that, that video they were like all right you know this Absolutely. guy yeah he's in, yeah. He's in. Um, so yeah and 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 ultimately uh, it's one thing to do you know the interview process like the interview process lasted about like two three months. Mm, um wow. and uh yeah the final hundred we all flew to 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 malaysia to do like two days of like intensive interviews iq tests all this stuff um so that was a great experience but then when you get called uh and you're like all right listen you're in you're in the top 12 um but yeah you gotta you, you gotta come next week <laughs> and you're like you're uh, still working at the time yeah exactly i'm like yeah. i was working i'm like what are you talking about like I'm, I'm Asia Pacific, Asia Pacific director. What, you know, like, <laughs> come on, guys. And they're like, listen, it's not you; it's someone else. So you've got two days to decide. And uh, and first, I was in the first, I was in the more like in a mindset to refuse. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? I, I worked, I worked too hard for this. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's too risky. And of course, like doing the show is is very is, is super high risk. Um, you can come across very well. Like mm -hmm. you can destroy your, yeah, you course, know, your yourself, reputation. right? Your reputation yeah. and all this, right? And um, and ultimately, I spoke with one of my mentor, and and he told me he's like Alex, like, what what are you worried about? What are you worried about if you leave your job? Mm. And I and I told him I'm like, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, like the salary, the position, like, he's like, salary, you'll get that like really quickly. The position, like, you've done so well, like, you know, like, don't worry about it. Like now, you have an opportunity, even if it's high risk, to get massive rewards. This mm -hmm. is the type of exposure that you don't get anywhere else. Yeah. And um and ultimately then yeah and then I was like you know what all right let's go let's go for it so I negotiated with my company my company was like nah we're not letting you go and ultimately then I pulled the card of like all right guys you know like I'm only gonna you know the show was between two weeks to three months that's that's what they communicate to you because you obviously you don't know when you're gonna get yeah, eliminated exactly right and I yeah. say and I say to my to my company like listen guys you know, I'm only like, going for two weeks yeah I'm like you know I was like I'm white I'm not gonna last too long is the apprentice Asia guys so it's just a dream I don't want to get hired and uh, so just let me go it's gonna be one month this yeah. is this is the this is the plan 
and uh, and ultimately they let me go and I kept my job. Wow! Um, but but you were gone for like a good three months. But I was gone for a good three months. You yeah. came what at what third, right? Yeah, third place. Out of thirty thousand applicants across yes. Asia, that's insane. Yeah, no, he, he, he was sweet. He was sweet. So he's a, he was a sweet experience. But uh, yeah, he was also super awkward because um, I couldn't tell anybody so mm. when i came back to work everybody thought that you know i had like health issues oh really yeah because wow. nobody knew that i was in of the course, show yeah, yeah. And an NDA and everything. exactly and and then my boss who knew that all right it was a two weeks to three months i come back after three months and he's like did you win did you win and i'm like well you're gonna have to watch tv i can't tell you <laughs> so you know the show was oh, on so tv you went back to work i after. went back to work, like literally the next day like the next wow. day i like i flew back and i thought you had a deal with tony and tony yeah, yeah so like i when i got eliminated i stayed uh and i filmed the finals because i was uh used as part of like uh, one of the finalist team okay uh, so they brought back some of the you know the other contestant to to work with one of the two finalists right and um so that, during that time this is when like uh, I had a one-on-one -on -one with uh, with Tony and basically he offered me a job straight away right. um, and um, and yeah and and ultimately I once the whole shooting was done I had to fly back straight away and, and go to work mm. uh, and think about like three months and of not like, tell anyone and just hold it deep inside yeah like not That'd tell anyone so you know like the show is, is going to be is going to start like a month and a half later on TV it's going to last for like three and a half months mm. and you know you're emotionally absolutely exhausted yeah totally um did you tell your mom at least sorry did you tell your mom at least yeah my mom was like <laughs> you, you got three person you can select to tell them and okay. uh, so my mom was uh, one of the one of the person um so yeah no so that that was that was fun but then uh, yeah for like five months working as the episode of being aired uh yeah. that was very awkward to to keep working for a company in, in you know in that situation do you think your colleagues received it negatively as it was being aired and you were still working there? And no, I mean, like, especially, I mean, the, the colleagues, right, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz, right? I, mm. And to me, I was I was representing my company. Mm. Um, and so as I, you know, as the show progressed and I was doing well, um, people were just like, oh, you know, did he win? Did he win? Did he win? Mm -hmm. um, but um, but yeah, and then a lot of people were just like, oh, it would be surprising. I was the only, you know, like ultimately like, like Caucasian in the show. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that became that big thing on social media being like, all right, is a Caucasian going to win like the Apprentice Asia? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that was the, you know, a big, uh, a big talking point. Yeah. Um, but um, might be why you didn't win <laughs> and there are some things that i signed that i cannot release <laughs> so <laughs> so information especially so. not on a podcast <laughs> exactly <go laughs> public so then so you then that you you then quit lv and went to work with tony fernandez um as the head of business development is that correct correct yeah for Ketaham. and how was that well, I mean, it was it was a very interesting experience um, because not not only that was my first experience working in you know in Europe, mm. um, so I was obviously working a lot with Europe when I was in in LVMH, like with headquarters. Yeah. Um, but being based in London um, and working with um, you know like British, French people, um, mm -hmm. so I, over, I was overseeing like a, a a JV that we have with Renault at the time, and. Um, and it was it was obviously a different industry, um, but I was facing a lot of uh, difficulties as well um, because 
to some of the the staff there, I want a job, uh, and I didn't like you know like got hired properly. Right. I uh, see. So to them, they're like, oh look, he's the guy that you know you like did the TV show it, yeah. and yeah, and he, and he won a job. Um, but um, then also it was just uh, the you know the role and what Tony wanted me to uh, you know to do there was to just really bring like a, an Asian working culture, and uh, and so to him he was like, listen, you know you're um, you know you're you're from Europe. And you've done all your career in Asia, um, so we need you know we need you to like bring that speed. And it's true that you know, every time I, I go back and I work like when I worked in, in you know in Paris, I worked in London. Like the pace was very slow, so mm. the, the, the I think the working style is all, all very yeah. different. And um, and so yeah, he wanted me to really like you know like push that rhythm and and, yeah. and 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 bring a different culture. And there was a lot of resistance. There was a lot of resistance because. Um, of the mentalities uh, and also the fact that um, when you you work for a company that is producing 500 cars, right? So Caterham does like, you know, supercars, they were in Formula One as well. And the goal was in three years to produce 50,000 cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the way from production to, you know, to marketing sales, like it's, it's everything is completely different. You're talking to people who have a mentality of thinking small and thinking like, you know, very premium to then go into something that is going to be like much higher scale and, 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 and selling a, a lot more volume. Right. So the, 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 I'll say the mindset is completely different mm-hmm. and a lot of people were very resisting to, to, to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so he was, he, you know, he, he was, it came with a lot of challenges, um, but you learn a lot as well from from these situations. You know, it's not because you work and everything is nice that, you know, this is where you learn the most. No, like to me, I learned a ton because it was very difficult. It was very complicated. Uh, I faced a ton of different type of challenges and, um, and I learned a lot from it. Hmm. What would you say was the biggest challenge? Do you think, like you said, even having just started, had your whole career out in Asia and then you know, even though you are European, but going back to Europe, it's like you have a different mindset because, you know, I obviously grew up in, in the UK and worked there up until the last three years and coming out here, there's a huge difference in the way that people work, right? And the cultures, yeah. believe it or not, do play a big difference um, in your day-to-day and how you kind of relate to your colleagues or, you know, how management is run. So, yeah, I think that's really a really good point. But would you say there was any kind of big what was like, the biggest challenge throughout that whole experience and what and how did you overcome that? I mean, like the biggest challenge, obviously for us, right, was was speed of the execution. Mm. Um, we had a, a very ambitious plan um, and that plan needed to really like, you know, like, I mean, you need to go fast and we need to, to bring changes quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we had a lot of friction on, on that front. And... Um, uh, I, I remember this, you know, this, one of my first meeting there with with my teams, and I asked for these reports um, to understand the whole like marketing, um, you know, marketing and spending approach um, versus sales, right? And uh, so I'm asking for this for this report, and the teams are like, all right, you know, we'll get it to you by end of the month, and we're literally mm-hmm. the third of the month. Yeah. And I'm and I tell the guys like, what about tonight, guys? <laughs> Like this, this, to me, that that's literally summarized my whole experience there. Yeah. Uh, it was always about, and they looked at me like I was crazy. Just like a huge expectation gap. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, nah, guys, right? Like, no, 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 we need to move a lot faster. Yeah. Like a lot faster. And um, and so, you know, there was a, everything from analysis of results to um, how quick, you know, you uh, you shift things, you change mm-hmm. things. Um, all that was a lot slower there, right? So, and, 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 
I think like when you work with Europe, right, the the infrastructure and they're a lot more structured and, and things are, are more solid than they are in you know in Asia. Yeah. Um, but the speed in Asia just allows you to touch a lot of things and, and try a lot of things and yeah. move and and, 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 and pivot quickly. Yeah, even and pivot if you very do, quickly. Do, you know, make mistakes without the lack of say processes or what or SOPs, whatever. Exactly, right. Yeah. And, and and what you mentioned in making mistakes, right? Something that I felt like was very taboo uh, mm. when, you know, I was working there. And and then again, like in you know, in Asia and in China, like it was always like you, you were encouraged almost, mm. you know, to 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 take high risk, and because people understood like to really get higher rewards, you need to you need to try things, right? Yeah. And and you will test a lot of different things, and all things will you know fail. But what is really important is is not the fact that you're failing; is that you're taking the lesson from mm -hmm. that failure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of that lesson, what would you say is the biggest advice that you would have that you took from Tony and working with him? Well, I mean, like, it was, I mean, it was, you know, obviously very exciting to work with him. Um, there's a couple of key advices, right? Like, the first thing was, especially um, as an entrepreneur, right? he, he talked to me and he was just like, listen, Alex, there, there are going to be a, a couple of things. But number one is, especially at your age and where you are in your career, forget about ego. Forget about mm. what you, how you perceive yourself. Um, you're going to get, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be challenged. And how well you're going to do in that situation is by you really stripping the ego down and and just taking like feedback and any type of feedback mm -hmm. like constructively. Mm. Um, and it might be you know it might sound like easy to do, but it's actually not because especially at, uh, at the time um, I would find myself like really listening to feedback from people that I really like respected deeply mm. um and kind of discounted the rest of the feedback and um and so that definitely at the time i think like slowed down my growth right yeah. um but then also like one of the you know one of the things that i saw working with him is how um you know the importance of being uh really good at talking um and you can see that <laughs> <laughs> And, and and yeah, like uh, I've I've been I've been lucky in my career to you know to work with two or three like you know important business people and and I think that's the number one thing that I that I see in all of them. They are incredible talkers. Uh, they're people incredible that, communicators. Yeah, yeah, very good communicators. They're they're able to influence. They're able to um, you know like support. They're able to like bring their troops mm. uh, behind words. They they're able to make you believe mm -mm. you know in, in the project in something like so hard mm. um and and yeah it's it's something that is very impressive and um and i remember tony was he had that skill set of really making you feel special right and but the also the the other side of the coin was well when you start a project and everybody feels special then you might you might get some friction there as mm -hmm. well right mm -hmm. everybody think that oh you know what i'm, I'm the special one yeah and um but it's uh yeah it, it was very interesting very very, very charismatic oh, super like. charismatic yeah i guess like for anyone listening who is you know is listening and thinking i want to be more charismatic <laughs> do you have any kind of practical points to I don't know, because I think part of it is very much nature. It's just based on personality and how you are naturally, right? Some people are a lot more extroverted and can express themselves more confidently. But mm -hmm. I think you can also practice in a way or like put yourself in uncomfortable situations to, yeah, work on your, um, the way that you communicate, whether that's like, like public speaking or even doing a podcast as a form of kind of putting yourself outside the comfort zone. But 
can you think of any kind of practical tips that people can take to try and increase their <laughs> their scale of uh, being I mean, charismatic? I think I know. In terms of being charismatic, right? Um, like, how would you define charismatic? Like, what does that mean to you? To me, I mean, like someone that's charismatic is 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 a mix between the energy that they are, you know, that they're sending, uh, you know, to 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 the crowd, to yourself, um, of obviously the words, right? Um, but of, of course, like then the, the content, right? The mission behind it, and uh, and 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 you know, like what ultimately is is the purpose and whatever they're saying, right? Um, but it's it's de- there's definitely a, a physical element to that, right? A, a charismatic person when they walk in a room, you you notice them as well, right? And um, so it's to me like, and and that's also like another thing that Tony told me a lot, right? He was like, you know, like energy is the currency. Mm, um, I love that. Yeah, and 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 that's something that obviously on my side, I've always, I think, it's been my trademark. Like I'm, I have a ton of it's energy. Like up like astrology and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and now it's you know it's always a matter of like, all right, so how do you spend that energy? And and there are moments in life where you need to spend it like you know outwards, and there are moments where you need to spend it inwards. Um, and so, you know, having that right balance is important. Um, but then when it comes to like, you know, being charismatic, I think it's, it's, it's also a way of, are you authentic, mm. right? Are you, uh, are you coming across as, you know, genuine uh, and do you actually even believe what you're mm-hmm. saying? And, and yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's a, one of the key part, right? Like if someone comes and they don't believe in what they're speaking, mm-hmm. like no matter how hard you try, you, you know, Just falling yeah, yourself, really. exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I like that. And so, you know, after working with Tony, you then, you know, I, I want to talk a bit more about YOLO, your own business, YOLO Food. Yeah. Um, tell me how that, you know, concept came about and why, why F&B? <laughs> why F&B? Uh, I asked my question, like that question to myself <laughs> so many times. Uh, because I always like, um, so basically when I was working in, in LVMH, uh, I worked a ton with hotels, restaurants and so on, right? And I always said to myself i will never work in fmb and uh, look at me now uh, <laughs> but Especially ultimately what every fmb entrepreneur says yeah my dad was in fmb as well oh really so, yeah it's funny <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately like to me it was a it was situational um i had some uh, some health issues because of the lifestyle i had in, in the alcohol industry like i was um you know, I was traveling all the time. I managed 27 markets. I had 150 business trips a year. Um, wow. And, you know, a lot of that was also entertaining the teams, entertaining suppliers, yep. clients, um, traveling like back and forth. And uh, so it was a lot of, you know, like lack of sleep, but yep. also like, you know, like bad nutrition. Mm-hmm. And um, and I ended up in the... I ended up in the hospital for months, wow. and um, yeah, so it was actually what very. What was wrong? If you don't um, yeah, no, basically the like it was a mix between like a, you know the the body being pushed too far, um, and also having intolerances uh, that I was not aware of, and mm-hmm. uh, so basically my white blood cells were very very low, right, right. and within forty eight hours I you know I caught like zillion stuff um and uh, and so i was like yeah i stayed in the hospital for almost a month and and uh, and then after that i was just like all right you know like i need to i need to eat better and nutrition was what like nutrition was being portrayed as like all right you got your salad bars you got your vegetarian restaurants and i came from a lifestyle where i go to the best restaurants in asia mm, pacific yeah, yeah. i eat the most exciting things in the most exciting venues with, with the highest sodium <laughs> highest sodium <laughs> and, and msg exactly uh and also but you know there was an, an experience factor right like mm-hmm. best music best environment 
And I was just like, am I really supposed to go from there to, to like, you know, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Like to sell it. I was, so I couldn't believe it. Right. I was just like, all right. So I started to buy books and I started to cook myself. And as I, you know, was buying books, uh, I realized, oh, listen, like everything that I love, I can do it like healthy. So how come there's not a, a restaurant that does that? Um, and so this is really where like that idea, like, you know, like that your idea came in, came to me and, and I started to, because I was traveling a lot for work, right? So I started to check out all healthy places everywhere. And, uh, and, um, and then, yeah. And then like, that was the time. And when you're an entrepreneur, you know, right? Like, uh, people were listening to this and entrepreneurs, they know when they had that idea and, and then they're like, oh, damn. All right. I think this one, I can't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Got to execute on this one. Exactly. Yeah. I think... I think this is the one, right? And so I was actually very, very close to opening China first, right before the show. Wow! Yeah. But then when I, you know, I got in the show and and then I, I got the opportunity to work with with Tony, I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, I can't pass on that. Um, but um, then when I joined Tony, I told him, listen, for me, it's it's one year. I've got this project, I want to do it, so I can do it with you, um, or you know, like ultimately, you know, I'll do it somewhere else. But I really want to do it, and um, and quickly like. As I was working with him, I was like, all right, Alex, you know, like, just bet on yourself, man. Just bet mm-hmm. on yourself. So um, I started to, you know, thankfully, because of the show, I started to get a lot of exposure. Um, a lot of people contacted me. And, and so then it was very, like, it was very easy for me to find investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was really like deciding where, where to do it. And um, and Singapore was the place where, you know, I chose because it's one of the tougher market in uh you know in Asia Pacific exactly (laughs) (laughs) and um and then like there was a lot of help as well from the government when you you wanted them to to scale up Mm -hmm. um and my investors were based here so I was just like all right you know what like I really didn't want to move to Singapore uh I was just like when I came to move back to Singapore yeah I didn't want to move back I was like you know it's just one season it's hot all the time you know like no <laughs> and uh, and ultimately like uh, i flew back for a weekend and i was just like okay one red flag and i'm not going and ultimately i loved it and i was like all right wait so just... you were after working in london with tony did you go back to china or mm. you made the move from london to singapore yeah i made the move from london to london singapore to... okay yeah wow so so you're kind of you're in the midst of fundraising right now right or you've just... We just closed, yeah. I don't know so. how much you can disclose. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just closed, yeah. You just closed. Congratulations. Thank you very um, much. You must be very relieved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would love to know, and I think, you know, audience would love to know if you can share a bit more about the process for fundraising. And obviously, you know, I'd like to say it's very different for tech companies, for, for you know, a company with your business model. How has the process been for fundraising? Um, and what have the challenges uh, been like I think you know most people think it's just some really complex you know strategy that you need for fundraising but really from what I understand and from the companies that I've worked with is that it really is just who you know and being able to sell your idea in a way I think sometimes you have these shows and they make it seem slightly too you know official but it's really about having the right people right and within your um, kind of close to immediate network yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 always a matter of the strategy, right? Um, when you you know when you're a startup and you decide to to you know to fundraise, um, you clearly have specific goals. You clearly have a plan you want to execute, 
and you need money for that. Um, and so I think that it's a combination of things. It's, it's a combination, of course, of the plan and the idea, right? But I, th I think somehow this is a little bit like secondary. Um, I think the main thing is people, especially at, like at the early stage, right? Either sitting or, you know, when you're bridging or when you're like close to Series A, um, people are investing in, in, in the founders. They're investing in the team. So they look a lot, you know, like into into the, the, the you know the founders and 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 I think it's really a matter of how you sell yourself and how you sell the people that are working with you. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the that's one of the key. Then, of course, you you, you got different strategies, right? Do you, are you looking for more like a institutional money? Uh, you know, do you want to work with like VCs or do you actually want like more quicker cash mm. uh, with less like reporting duties and like uh, and family offices, family offices yeah. angels, and mm -hmm. stuff like that, yeah. right? So I think that, you know, like uh, usually, especially for the type of businesses that, you know, I'm in, um, you tend to, and, and even myself, like I, my the first time I raised, I, I looked at VCs and I looked at, you know, angel investors and I saw that things were moving a lot faster with angel investors. Mm -hmm. And also angel investors uh, tend to make decisions a lot faster and also sometimes a bit more you know like emotionally um they like the you know they like the idea they like mm -hmm. the founder and they're like okay let's go um and and i'll give you an example on that like i you know like one time i closed uh some investors literally at tangent beach club uh i was i was there on a sunday so for afternoon. those of you not from singapore it's literally a beach club here <laughs> singapore where everyone's just like drunk by 2 p.m exactly it's and uh, <laughs> yeah and and i was just there like uh you know having a good time with my friends and and there was this you know like this this couple that was just like um speaking about healthy food and how you know healthy food cannot be tasty and of course when i heard that i'm like listen <laughs> i'll send you my food and i just say i'll send you my food and uh, you will see right and we had a, a chat for 20 minutes i send them my food and then the next day they text me saying oh are you looking for investors Wow, and uh, and I was just like, well, <laughs> funny you ask, exactly, funny you ask. Like, let's meet up, <laughs> and uh, and ultimately it was literally closed in a matter of like four weeks. Wow, uh, when um, I would say like usually a process is probably more like three to six months. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's the beauty with uh, with uh, angel investors. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at you know like VCs and the interest with VCs is you know you get a network, right? So once you get partners like that you get a full network like a bolt-on team yeah exactly yeah, right they can help you in many many stuff. different ways they can interest you like uh you know they obviously they have like a huge portfolio yeah um all the founders they got like a big network and that's what could be really really interesting right but you also know that when you work with vcs then things can you know become like a, a little bit heavier on the reporting yeah, side absolutely. and, and uh, you know the duty so as a CEO then you start to get really uh, you know like drained by that mm -hmm. um, so I think that you know like a, a good way at the beginning is always to probably look for um, look for agile investment mm -hmm. um, so you can try out things quickly yeah. um, get cash quickly and um, and then ultimately then uh, try to push the business uh, mm. and try to you know try to get some data right, uh, especially from a, like at, at the very early stage. Yeah. And um, I think that's really the, the the first thing I would uh, I would recommend. Yeah, I think it's a really good point you made, especially when you're like at early stages and not. Um, I think it's so founder focused when you're looking for um, investment. I think people really are investing in you as much as the the product or the business model itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I know the way that VCs operate is that they have this set of 
they have like a limited amount of you know this fund that they're gonna invest in a few startups and they know that you know there's a percentage that will fail so they are taking that kind of risk of course but that also comes with you know a lot more taking a lot more equity so you actually don't get a lot more for your money in a way so that's why I think angel investors or family offices tend to be a lot better because you're not giving away so much equity early on right um but yeah no that I think that's really helpful I think sometimes the whole process of fundraising can be quite intimidating especially for you know founders who aren't from like a financial background or Mm -hmm. or you know a very business business and commercially um aware um but in terms of, you know, so you're also a business consultant to many other startups, right? Yeah. Um, I'd love to for you to share uh, any kind of advice that you think is like commonly asked. Any advice you can give to startups listening right now um, would be super, super helpful in, in more of a practical manner. Yeah. I mean, when I work, when I work with startups, I work with entrepreneurs, right? Um, the first thing I try just for myself, right, to understand... Um, to understand what type of founders they are is um, I try to really, uh, uh, you know, we speak a lot about, all right, what was the mission? What's the purpose? Um, why did you start that? And um, I, I really try to understand if they are, um, and, you know, being brutally honest, if they are just people that are entrepreneurs because it's fashionable right now, uh, you know, it's trendy. It's cool to say that you got your own mm. business, right? Um, are they people that have done that because they're driven by mission and purpose? Um which then will, you know, like build very distinct uh, CEOs, right, and uh, and business people. Um, so I, I basically really want to see how serious they are, mm-hmm. and um, and then when I see like you know that these people that are you know very gifted, they have you know a good concept, a good product, right. Often I think the, the, the at the start, right, it's, it's the the work is really about planning um, because. When you, you know, you start a new business and especially if you're not like super savvy on, you know, finances or um, you're someone that is more creative and you're not like very exposed on like, you know, sales technique, distribution, production, all this stuff, right? Um, this is, and, and you're alone, right? You're a single founder. You've got to do everything on your yeah, own, totally. right? And and so this is where it gets really, really hard because, I mean, let's be honest, when you're an entrepreneur, um it's not what people are, are you know, saying in, in you know, in the magazines or, uh, it's you know, not like all glam. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not all glam. It's not all fun. It's not all like oh, you know, you work on your own, you know, timing. You know, people always like oh, you have to work hard. I'm like, listen, that is a given. That's not even a criteria. That's a given. Yeah, yeah. Like you will work harder than you've ever worked. Um, but the the things that they don't tell you is is how you know, like mentally and emotionally and psychologically taxing it is. Yeah. Um, you're in, you know, you're in this pressure cooker and you never get out. Like, you never get out. Like You're really selling it to people. Yeah, right? no, but like people need to, like I, f- I feel people need to know um, because yeah, it's the truth. Yeah, it's the truth, right? And it's not a matter of like just trying to make everything sound good, right? There are incredible aspects of being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but you have to make sure that you're ready for these things. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that you're ready for, you know, if things are not working out, are you, are you mentally strong enough to, yeah. to reinvent yourself, to change things, to, to look really deeply inside and be like, you know what, it's not working, I need a change. And, and, and the company is only as good as their leader, right? Yeah, so, so, true. so those are, you know, this is the reality, but now, you know, now that we've said that, um, there are, you know, there are, there are a process that you can really, you know, 
put in place at the beginning to really help with the journey. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's, 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 of course, a lot about first defining the what, right? Mm-hmm. What is like, what is it that you're trying to do? Often people are f- straight away thinking like, all right, listen, I'm selling this product. And so this is, this is where I'm selling. This is how I'm doing it. And they always focus on the, the, the how, but they don't, they don't have a very clear picture of, all right, listen, in six months time, where do I want to be? In one year time, where do I want to be? What is the number? What is exactly the objective? And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, flying or, or driving somewhere without a real destination. You know, like it's, it's, it's very, obviously it's not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's most of the time when I work with, with startup, it's really about the plan. It's really about, you know, understanding from a, um, a strategy point of view, a structural point of view, then the team, the culture, um, how the, you know, the work is divided, um, distribution, um, and ultimately then like marketing, right? Like how, how are we going to go and structure everything, right? And, and once you've defined exactly what the objective, you break it down into all these different departments. And then this is where you start to think about, all right, so this is what we come up with. Do we need investment? Do we need mm-hmm. money? Do we need to, uh, you know, to make a, to, to talk to people to start to execute that plan? What kind of, um, I, I really like, you know, everything that you've just said and I totally agree. And I think when you do start a startup, like, yes, they tell you it's hard, but also you have to be ready to sacrifice other areas of your life as well you know and obviously it depends on your business model and what kind of like you know tech company versus you know brick and water versus e-com are very different tons of stress and it depends how quickly you want to scale as well and whether you have a co-founder there are so many variables in place that there's no kind of you know one rule and there's obviously external factors like covid which can throw in a curveball um which slight curveball <laughs> slight curveball which you can share i'd love to learn how you you know i don't want to use the word pivot but because it's been used so much but yeah how what were the biggest lessons you uh learned from covid but i kind of want to go back to the point you mentioned about thinking you know setting your goals and and you're very good at looking at a startup and thinking long term because most people will think and plan for the next six months but it's important to kind of set the vision five ten years down the line obviously you do deter from that but how mm. do you what kind of practical tips can you give around really strategizing and and kind of revisiting the business plan to make sure that you are in it for the long run well, yeah i think uh, you know like and, and this is a very important part of the business right um and often i especially with single founders right um, and and I know because I went through this. When you're a single founder, it's super super tough, right? Mm. Like you you kind of like almost feel like you're firefighting all the time. Yeah. And um and and you feel like you need to be good at everything. Um. But I think one of the biggest lessons I've, I've I've got right was try to find obviously the right people. Um. And that it's as other founders, uh, and it's something that you know I I obviously I recommend right. I recommend for those who are listening to us like if you're thinking of starting a new business try to get some people in um you mean other employees early on is that what like you mean? founders like, other co-founders yeah, yeah other co-founders yeah um but but that's a challenge in itself i think a lot of stuff has felt because they fall out with their co-founders right yeah but um and of course like i mean it's you know i mean it's it's it's, it's like a marriage right so and it's, it's, it's worse than a marriage <laughs> <laughs> yes um <laughs> And uh, but ultimately, right? I think it's um, it's a lot about also about the team and hiring. And 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 I would say like focus on your strengths. What are your strengths, right? What do you really think 
is the area where you're going to be the strongest and the area where you really need to put all your efforts for the mm -hmm. business, right? Where do you think you're going to impact the business the most? Mm -hmm. um, do you really think that spending 50% of your time on, you know, validating designs or, you know, like looking into payments and stuff like that or negotiating with suppliers is where the business is going to be the, you know, the, the, the best serve? Mm -hmm. No, like I think it's, I would say, you know, I would say to founders like, Make sure you you do the ten thousand dollar an hour kind of job and not the ten dollar an hour kind yeah, of job, yeah. right? And then surround yourself with and delegate, mm -hmm. yeah, and delegate, right? And 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 then surround yourself. Make sure that you um, you give proper responsibilities to your team. Make sure that uh, you know there's accountability mm -hmm. throughout the team, and uh, and ultimately then think about the longer plan, right? When you are a CEO, your role is not to be involved in the day to day. Your role is to make sure that the direction is, you know, is right. Mm -hmm. And as the business goes and evolves, that you still towards the direction. And it's like that brings up bring us back to to the plan, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where um, it's so important to understand exactly where you're at, you know, mm -hmm. in your year. But what's the bigger plan? Yeah. And um, and you should already know, like, all right, listen, like at the end of the year, that's the number that we we want to hit. And that's going to trigger that. And in the end of the second year, this is where we want to be. And usually you, you, you need to have a three-year three -year plan. Mm -hmm. You need to really know where you're going to be at in three years. Um, and uh, and I'm not saying that then you're not going to discover things that you know might change your business or some new opportunities. Of course you will, right? Mm -hmm. But it's very important to... Uh, to you know, to, 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 to break everything down. So when you, you're directing the business and you have everybody like doing the day-to-day, -day, they have a very clear vision and they know what they're working for. I think that's very important. And, uh, and then on your side, you just make sure that you, you hit all the macro stuff and you're not too involved in the micro mm -hmm. stuff. I think you made a good point about, yeah, I guess like that's the clear difference between a CEO and an entrepreneur. Not to say an entrepreneur can't be a CEO as well, mm -hmm. but as you kind of scale, you kind of step away from that CEO and you hire a CEO to manage the, yeah. you know, more day-to-day -day things. Um, and you're focused on really scaling the business. Um, so it's quite interesting. I think a lot of people just confuse and think CEO and entrepreneur is the same thing. Um, no. It can yeah. be. Yeah, but it's not mutually exclusive. Um, okay, so I... I kind of, before I go into more personal questions, I just wanted to kind of dabble into, I mean, I know you're huge, you're massively into fitness, nutrition, and obviously mindfulness. Um, and I'd love to understand, um, I don't know if there's any kind of new habits that you've adopted, especially over the past year that you feel like has really, you know, brought really high ROI in, in your life and, and you can't live without now. <laughs> yes because we're all we're always showing i mean alex knows i'm always tempting him with like sugary treats and <laughs> cookies and stuff but you're so disciplined and yeah i'd love to pick your brains in in the arena of fitness nutrition and, and mindfulness yeah and i think that you know everything is in, in, interconnected right for me and 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 as an entrepreneur um the road has been very long and it's been you know it's been painful very painful at times especially last year um and and so when you challenge to that extent, right, it, it's so important to be able to, you know, stay some somehow grounded in your head, right? And um, and so to me, like some of the things that tremendously helped me, like manage stress, um, manage anxiety, and 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 you know, be more clear clear headed, and so uh, you know, I make better business decisions and everything, right? Um, one of the number one is like meditation, and um, and it's funny because I'm like probably one like you know like 
my friend would qualify me as like a super alpha person. And I was always like, you know, really big into sports and my way of like distressing and, you know, like uh, taking, you know, like taking this team out was always like sports. Yeah. Like and physical, um, yeah. yeah, physical. And, um, and so I was just like, really like, what is, you know, what is, what is meditation? Like I'm supposed to think about nothing. And, but ultimately I, I really gave it a go. And, and, and I'm someone that I'm always like, you know, I'm, I'm very result oriented. And when I saw the, the results, right, when I saw what I got, I could quantify how much better I felt. And, um, and, and as I kept, you know, like I started to include that into my routine and, and basically I do that every day. Wow. Um, how long do you meditate for? 15 minutes. 15, yeah, yeah, so doable. Do you do it in the morning? So I do it in the morning. I try to do it in the afternoon as well. Um, and, and it's something that just, like, it's, 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 you know, it's mental hygiene. And, mm. the, you know, the period when I don't do it, I can feel how much more stressed I am. I can feel um, that I'm more on edge and things like this. That I don't think as clearly that I'm not as, like, calm and collected. Mm. Um, and, and I can really see the difference, right? And, and so... It's something that to me has become like super, super important. Mm. And um, so I'll say that's one of the first habits. The second thing um, is, is just my morning routine. Um, I used to be, you know, the I used to be the person that just wakes up as late as I can. Um, that was me when I was like in my early 20s. I just, I look back at my non-existent morning routine back in London and I just... So embarrassing. It's like snooze, snooze, snooze. Yeah. Just roll out of bed, you know. Exactly. Get ready in ten minutes. Yeah, out, out, like, out on yeah. the tube, checking emails on the tube. Oh, awful. I can't no wonder I was so like anxious all the time. It's yeah. crazy. And it's like and, and you don't understand until like and 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 I also I kept on believing like, you know what, I'm not a morning person. I'm just not a morning person. And that belief was deeply rooted in me. Mm. And ultimately, um, you know, we always say like, it takes about like two months to, to really make a habit, right? So at some point I was like, you know what, I'll give it two months and mm-hmm. I'll see how, you know, how I feel. And what I, like basically how I start my day, right? I start like, like 6.30 or 7. And um, and first thing I do is like I, I do quick exercises, so push-ups and, and, and pull-ups. Um, and then I move into straight after that into my meditation. And so the, the whole point, right, and actually the first thing I do every morning is I make my bed. Uh, and, I, and that can sound like, you know, like silly. To I've read a whole book called Make My Bed by yeah. the Navy SEAL guy. Have you read that? Uh, yeah, I heard of it. Yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. yeah. And it's it's just like um, what I love about, you know, my, my, my routine, it's about getting wins. It's about mm. like, you know, starting in a certain way. I make yeah. my bed, things are clean, and, and I'm, I got my, the, the first win of the day. Yeah. And uh, then I go and I do my little exercises. I get my second win. And, uh, and then once I do my meditation, I feel much better. And this is when... I start to read and I read like anything from like business news to like books or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I learn. And to me, the learning part is also a super important aspect, mm-hmm. right? So once I'm done, then I'm actually like, I start to like check out like, and pr- probably around like by the time like eight o'clock, I start to check out like exactly the plan after the day. And I'm like super relaxed. Mm. I check the plan, like, you know, the schedule that I have for the day and I'm highly productive. And then I can work for like, you know, a good hour and a half before anybody in my company comes and starts to like buzz mm-hmm. me and stuff like this. Right. So I've got like pure productivity for a good hour and a half. Mm. And then my day starts with the rest. And I'm not like, you know, in, in 
in that, uh, you know, like fight or flight like mode where you wake up late and you woke up like 8.45 or 9 and you already have a ton of messages and, and you know, yeah. you're trying to get ready. And, and that has such a deep impact on you and, and how you approach your day. Um, and so, so yeah, this this made a big, big change and, um, and actually then discovered that, you know what, I actually prefer this a lot more then waking up later, it's actually way nicer to absolutely to wake yeah. up when the sun wakes up, right? And um, yeah, so so yeah, that's a, that's a, a big, big, big routine that I have that I, I definitely encourage everybody to to follow. Yeah, it's so funny because you already answered one of my questions, and one of them was like, "What is your morning routine?" Because just also because I'm very nosy and I want to know where everyone's morning <laughs> routines are, but I'm like obsessed with biohacking, and I'm always trying to like like create my morning routine and make it fit best for me because you know you're obviously not going to do that every single day mm -hmm. but you need to find the best thing that works for you and that depends on your work schedule like some people have kids like I think there's so many things changing that you need to find th something that sticks right yeah um but I do and I'm definitely not a morning person either I can like my close friends will know I'm <laughs> always snoozing so if I can do it then like anyone can <laughs> I think. um but so my next question for you is what is one what is one thing that you wish you started doing earlier ah so this, this is definitely like i got i got a very clear answer like definitely reading um so the funny thing with me and reading is i always believed that i hated reading because it started when i was uh, when i was young when i was young I, I was you know like given like books um, you know, French literature uh, or fictional books. And I just yeah. couldn't relate to them, right? And I was just like, oh my God, I I hate it, right? So I hate reading, all right? And and then I I kept on believing this. Like I went through through the US, studying in the US where you, you have to read like six books every week. And I just like, I was literally like, paying people to like write summaries of the books uh, and and that's how should I should have got Blinkist <laughs> and yeah there was no Blinkist at the time they had it's like a German company right uh, yeah and so so I was just you know I was doing everything I could to avoid reading and um and and then through like uh, a couple of passions I decided to to read and and, and I said to find out like oh when I read about something that I'm passionate about that is about growth or you know a topic of interest or whatever it is um I really started to understand, wow, I actually love reading. Mm -hmm. And then and then the second thing I did was I was like, oh, but I'm probably like a super slow reader. So I did this course on speed reading. Um yeah. And I mean that changed that changed everything because Is it like the Tim Ferriss uh, method? Have you heard of his method? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. No, uh, so the one I'm doing is uh is by a guy called Jim Quick, funny enough. Oh, I I've read his book yeah, Limitless. Limitless, yeah. Yes, I've read some of his um, Yeah, like I'm, about I'm, that in his chapter actually. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of his work. Um and uh, so he has like a speed reading course. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he has as well like memory courses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I literally went from 200 words a minute to about like 680, 700. Um, wow. So now I'm like reading a book. It just literally takes me a couple of days. Um, and so he had like this you challenge. You need to send me that link. <laughs> yes, no problems. And uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and after every single tip, you you know, you do the exercise of counting the words and it increases so fast. It's crazy. Uh, it's, yeah, no, it's it's plus EV. Uh, so I highly recommend everyone to do that because, you know, Warren Buffett said about Jim Quick, right? He was like, oh, listen, I actually hate the fact that I only discover you and your technique like 
you know, like super late in life because I could have read like four times the amount of books that I read. And, uh, and, and yeah, and, and to me it's, it's this, right? Like I, I love, I love learning. I love mm. trying to just, you know, grow and, um, and reading about people that, you know, have done certain specific things mm-hmm. or I think that's the best way. Right. Yeah. And, um, and ultimately through reading to me, it's, 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 it's a unique opportunity. So when you can do that a little bit quicker, it's worth it. Yeah, it's weird because I think I was the same as you. I never really got into reading until, yeah, like my early 20s, I think. I I was like you. I always thought I just didn't really, I wasn't, I never really got into fictional books. I was never really into fictional books. Um, and then when I started reading nonfiction and like self-development or pers- personal development, whatever you call it, I was like, this is amazing. Like, how did I not discover this? Yeah before and it's just yeah it's so powerful I think it's super powerful obviously I think nowadays has been you know there's been a huge rise in personal development books and I think it's just about finding the right ones because not all of them out there are great good quality a lot of it's just repetition like you know one key hook and just repeating it over and over again Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important to find the good ones and then just repeatedly read them over and over again um, which brings me to my next question. And what is the one book that you recommend to a friend, and why? Um, so I've 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 read a couple of books, right? I mean, there's a, there's a ton of books I would recommend, but ultimately, um, there's a couple of books recently that I really uh, I really enjoy. Like one was uh, the Buddha and the Badass. Oh uh, yeah, by Vision. Yeah, by Vision, and um, especially because I felt like I felt it was written for me, um, an entrepreneur Are you the in the world. Or the badass? <laughs> 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 the badass trying to be a bit more Buddha, and uh, and uh, and ultimately, <laughs> exactly, people are listening, you know, and uh, and 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 yeah, and I felt like it was, you know, for an entrepreneur in um, in the wellness space, I felt like wow, like it was written for me. Um, so that was that's definitely one that I would recommend. The, the the latest one, one of the latest books that I read, it's called Atomic uh, Habits. Habits, yeah, yeah, I've read and that, uh, yeah. yeah, and that was quite interesting as well. It, it brings it back to you know like very basic uh, yeah. form of like all right, how to put certain habits in there, mm-hmm. um, and. I realized that, you know, like subconsciously, like I was doing a lot of that already. Yeah. Um, Just makes you feel good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, damn. All right. Um, But yeah, like, because at the end of the day, right, like one of my favorite habits to have is I always, people I look up to or um, anybody like, you know, like uh, authorities in their industry and stuff, Mm -hmm. like I always... um, try to find like you know recommendation of books that you know their favorite books yeah and that's what i read right and um and so that's always a way of like you know getting you know making a good selection and, and getting good some materials, good, yeah, yeah. good materials in so yeah. that's something that is like quite helpful for me yeah for sure and it's definitely not always that i feel like every book is the number one new york Times <laughs> so you can't go by that yeah. you know criteria you can't go by you know the very the most popular ones either i think it's just about through referral and understanding which is why i always ask people in this podcast i want to know I love that what question. books people are reading and it's always so hard for people especially entrepreneurs a lot of them do read and are super involved in personal development so yeah. it's like the hardest question usually throughout the podcast episode but um, 
Thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, but I think that actually brings us to a conclusion today. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming in um, and for joining on the show today, Alex. It's been really great to have you here to share <laughs> to share your story, your interesting, very diverse set of experiences, your expertise and your knowledge today. Um, for anyone who is looking to um, understand and hear more, you can find YOLO Foods at YOLO Food SG. And if you want to find Alex's personal account, you can find him. <laughs> Do you, I don't know if you want to share that. <laughs> I think they can easily find me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thank thank you so much for having me on this platform. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being on the show.